And as we begin, um, we're going to look at that reading from Mark chapter 11. Um, and we'll bring in the other, the other readings from today as well. But they're on page 5, Mark chapter 11. They went into Jerusalem again. As Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the experts in the law, and the elders came to him. They asked him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. They discussed this with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the crowd, because everybody held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. This is the word of our God. They hated Jesus without reason, although they certainly had their reasons. And as we begin today, we're talking about reasons that they hated Jesus. And the, the most obscene or the strangest reason thus far, I mean, all the other reasons have been fairly silly and, and sinful anyway, but today's reason, well, Jesus didn't answer their questions. And we saw this a number of times when, when they come to Jesus with a question and Jesus turns it around. Show me a denarius whose inscription is on it. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from God or from men? He turns the question around without answering the question. And as we begin, I, I didn't write this series. It was one of my classmates who's down in Kentucky, Florence, Kentucky. And I was looking at this one. Reasons to hate Jesus. He doesn't answer our questions. And on the one hand, I'm like, I get it. Raise your hand if you've never had a question for Jesus. <laughs> Raise your hand if you've never had a question why things happen when they do and how they do and why things didn't happen the way that they could have happened. Or even maybe you saw that headline just uh, this last week where a truck, like an F-350, towing a, an RV trailer, uh, the truck went over the guardrail and the safety chain held that truck from plummeting down into the gorge, somewhere in Idaho, I think. And you just raise your hand and you say, well, why can you do that? Why did you do that? Prevent that truck from plummeting to certain death and something as simple as, as a little bit of ice on Ohio roadways and somebody doesn't survive that. Talk about questions that people have for Jesus. I'm sure that, that you've got your own, your own questions, and maybe it's a question that has come up recently. Maybe it's a question that's kind of sat on your mind for some time, and you're like, man, i got to write this down, and, um, and maybe I'll talk to pastor about it. But I've talked to the last three pastors about it, and they didn't have much of a question or much of an answer, really, that satisfied my question. And we get it, that we want more of an answer, and we don't always get that. But the flip side, I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking to myself, Luke, you know, Pastor Luke, um, the guy who wrote this series, come on, man, um, every time that I start a Bible instruction class with somebody new, 
I say, you know, Resurrection Lutheran Church, where the life of Jesus meets yours, and this is the place where I want you to ask any question. And, um, and my, my personal promise is that your pastor isn't going to get irritated when you do. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes that's a little bit of a challenge. I mean, I'm sure you have had that experience too. If somebody comes at you with that question like, but pastor, you've got to tell me. I understand where you're coming from. And I need to respond carefully and patiently and that if I, if I let that question grab a hold of my emotions and start driving, um, it's not going to end well. And so the personal promise that I make to everyone as we go through instruction class, and, and I guess I'll say it again here if you haven't heard that from me previously, is that if you have any question, just write it down or ask it, and I promise you that you will get a thorough, patient, and biblical answer. I promise you that even if, even if the door has been slammed in your face on that question before, and even if it's a question that you feel embarrassed asking, whether it's something that you think you should know, or something that somebody told you you should know, or a question that you feel uncomfortable speaking out in, in public, even if that's the case, my promise is that you'll get a thorough, patient, biblical answer. And then I see Jesus. Come on, you called me here, Lord, <laughs> to represent you. And this has been kind of an operating premise for the last decade of my life. You'll get a thorough, patient, biblical answer, and then these people come to Jesus, and he doesn't answer them. And you see that multiple times throughout, throughout the Gospels, and usually with good reason. But why? He doesn't answer their question. Instead, he turns it around and he says, this baptism of John, was it from heaven or from man? And he turns it around into this seemingly totally disconnected answer that's not really an answer. At least when they asked about taxes, he said, well, bring me the dollar bill and show me whose picture is on it. But this, what's going on? When they come and they ask him, it's one of those questions that's an accusation. And if we understand their motive, and, and you look at the dialogue, and you begin to understand the motive behind it, that sometimes it's a question that isn't really a question. Like my, my favorite illustration, you know, the officer comes up to your window after pulling you over and asks, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? We both know why you pulled me over. It's a question that isn't a question. Maybe you've had, you've had a similar experience where somebody asks you a question that it's not, not so much a question, but a statement, an accusation. An accusation that says, well, this is what I need you to do for me, and this is how I need you to respond to me. Sometimes that, that shows up in our, in our close personal relationships, when we're kind of irritated with that, that someone that we love, and it kind of shows up, well, did you, did you have to do that? Or have you done this? And it shows up as that, that subtle accusation as well as a question. And that's the attitude they have when they come and talk to Jesus. Who gave you the authority to do these things? By what authority are you doing these things? 
And the, the, the things that they're talking about is Jesus clearing out the temple and correcting their religious worship there at the temple. And it's not a question, who gave you the authority, but an accusation, can you really tell us what we should or should not be doing? Because I want an answer now. And not that we ask Jesus that same question, but sometimes that motive is still lurking in the background. Because, I mean, you know this as well as I do, that, um, that when God brought you to faith, he created that new life of faith within your heart, that new life of faith that loves God's law and wants to do good and godly acts, that wants to live a life of love toward God and toward neighbor, but that new life of faith is hampered by our sinful flesh. And so when I want to do good, evil is right there with me, putting the brakes on and telling me, you don't really want to be doing that now, do you? And when I have an honest question for Jesus, when I'm confused and wondering, the sinful flesh is right there saying, God shouldn't have let this happen. Right? How often can our questions truly be an honest question. I'm curious, you know, Lord, on what day did you create the angels? But more often, it's tinted and tainted by that sinful flesh. That is the subtle accusation, a question that isn't a question, um, the question that isn't, why did this happen? But an accusation that says, this should not have happened, because I don't have the time for it, I don't have the heart for it, um, I just don't want it right now, right? And that sort of accusation it basically dismisses Jesus as he is and demands that Jesus be as we want him to be. And it actually ties in pretty perfectly with our reading from John chapter 12. Um, we didn't even have to have a different reading today. <laughs> it ties in perfectly with John chapter 12, because at the end of it, in verse 31, 32, 33, that last paragraph, Jesus shows us where his greatest glory is found. That his greatest glory is found hidden in the cross. That even though he has all authority in heaven and on earth, even though he was the one at the top of Mount Sinai with the earthquakes and the trumpets and the, and the shaking and the lightning, even though that is the case, and even though he was the one at the Mount of Transfiguration, shining with light that is greater than the sun, he says that his greatest glory is in this cross. And that's the heart of it. Because he hides his glory so much and so often, and we don't like that. He hides his glory He hides his glory, and um, things don't happen as we want them to be. And we're confronted with not much more of an answer than your Lord knows, and your Lord cares, and your Lord has promised to work everything out for your eternal good. 
and we're confronted with the simple, basic, biblical truth that your sin is forgiven, and you have a God who smiles upon you, and we get that, but then our sinful flesh is like, no, but I want more. I understand, Lord, that my sin is forgiven. And the sinful flesh would say, well, yeah, okay, but what else has God done for me lately? What else has my Lord done for me lately besides, besides death and resurrection and forgiveness of sins? What about my life here and now? What about my concerns that are sitting on my heart and sitting on my mind? And it's almost this, it really is, a dismissal of the blessings that are hidden in the cross in favor of a desire for the blessings we want now. And that's really the heart of it. That hidden underneath their question, and sometimes piggybacking along with our question, is this assertion that I don't like that God's glory is hidden in suffering. That I don't like that I have to work hard every day to make sure that, that I'm not led astray by Satan. I don't like the idea that a crucified Savior and his suffering is going to characterize my life because that makes me uncomfortable. And I don't like that God, who has all authority and all power, isn't going to use just a drop of that right now to make my life a little bit easier, but that quite to the contrary, it seems, there's the, the atheist and the blasphemer who is wealthy beyond wildest imagination, and they, they die a peaceful and pleasant death. And here's the Christian who has to scrape and scrabble to get by, ridiculed by friends and dismissed by family. And here's the Christian who, who dies at an early age, as we would say. And we don't like it. Because we want to push Jesus off the throne and say, I want things this way, my way now. And our sinful flesh grabs hold of questions that are good and godly questions and would even twist them and tack on to them that subtle accusation that if he doesn't answer the way that I want and the way that I feel that I need right now, then what good is he anyway? I'm looking around, and I can't read everybody's thought bubbles today, um, but I get the inclination that, or, you know, the possibility that I'm not the only one who's ever struggled with this. Maybe this has described your life as well. And if it's not a constant thing, at least on occasion, where you just wonder, why now, why me, and why can't it be like that? And we hate that idea that Jesus doesn't give us the answers we want. And all he says is, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Because he still hides his glory in that cross. And he confronts that accusation that piggybacks onto our questions. He confronts that accusation and he says, dear Christian, do you see where God's greatest glory is revealed? Jesus' greatest glory wasn't in the feeding of the 5,000 and in the, the raising of dead Lazarus. His greatest glory wasn't in the healing of the crowds, but in the preaching of the word. His greatest glory wasn't in, in making that crowd of men 
at the Garden of Gethsemane fall down flat on their backs when he just answers, I am he. His greatest glory was when he stretched, his hands were stretched out and he said, Father, forgive them. His greatest glory is still seen in your life and mine that people who have to deal with and struggle with life in a sinful, painful world can still bow our heads and say, you know what, the Lord is God and I am not. And when he says that my sin is forgiven, when he says that he still has this unconditional positive regard for me, in spite of who I've been, but simply for the sake of his son, he has this unconditional positive attitude toward me where he said that he will continue to be with me and continue to um, provide for me and reassure me through his word and through his sacrament that he's going to bring that hidden glory of the cross even down to my life and down to my, down to my taste and my tongue. <laughs> When he's going to hide his glory underneath bread and wine one more time and reiterate to my head and to my heart that, dear child, your sin is forgiven. There is nothing more to worry about. Because the issue isn't the question. The issue is the answer. Not the answer to the questions, every single question we have, but the answer to the question that we needed to have. Is how am I right with God? And how can I know that my God cares about me? And that answer is, is seen for us on the pages of scriptures and repeated for us in the Lord's Supper right there. But think of it this way. One of the most, most memorable adult confirmands um, that I ever had the, the pleasure and privilege of confirming was a man named James. And I'm pretty sure I've talked about him before here. Um, just kind of memorable in that, in that sense. And his family had been, you know, attending fairly regularly when he was young and then had fallen out of the practice, what I would, what I would mentally refer to as somebody who was de-churched, somebody who had been going to church, who had been churched, and then got away from the practice of going to church, de-churched. And he came to church one Sunday uh, with a cousin, I guess, and I got to talk to him afterward and twisted his arm a little bit so that we would have Bible instruction class to get together like every Friday, right? And this class is between an hour, hour and a half. Um, it's very similar to the class that we have on our YouTube channel and at our website now. Um, I just compressed it into fewer lessons but longer lessons, right? And you could probably ask Desiree, you know, how many afternoons after an hour and a half class was done, we were still there for another hour and a half talking about questions. Talking about questions that he had and questions, and we, we discussed them and answered them as best as we could. Um, but what he was really surprised at was that the same basic truth he had learned as a youngster was the same basic answer although taking different forms, but it was the same basic answer to every single question that he brought. And it's not because, you know, I was just trying to take the easy way out and uh, have a Sunday school answer, well, Jesus loves you. Um, Jesus loves you and your sin is forgiven. But that every single question that you might have is one end of a thread that if you pick it up and you follow it, 
the only place it can end up is the cross of Jesus. And that's an incredible opportunity for us, too. That I'm sure you have questions. I'm sure you know people who have questions. Um, You have questions whether (laughs) it's something you want to say out loud or something that you've kept tucked in the back of your mind for a long time. And that's one thing that... um, it is going to be, continue to be an incredible evangelism opportunity to bring the life of Jesus to somebody else. To say, you know, we're the church that, uh, where you can ask questions <laughs> and we can talk about it. And by the way, why don't you check out, um, check out that podcast, RWJ Small Group, and, uh, and you, we can discuss it together. Because what that is, is a place where we can talk about questions where Christians can get together in in smaller groups instead of just, you know, our, uh, I don't know, about 38 to 43 people that we have here today, um, can get together in a group of four to six to eight or nine and talk about a sermon that you can find at that RWJ small group podcast. So we can get these questions out in the open. Because the problem isn't having questions. The problem is questions that are accusations. And how do you answer an accusation? Well, look at what God says. The problem isn't even having, having doubts about your faith. I mean, this is some of the latest research that the problem isn't um, whether a parent has doubts about their faith, and the problem is whether that parent can talk about that doubt and talk about that question with their children. And if they can't, and the question just kind of sits there and festers and gets worse. But if it is a place where we can talk about questions, whether, whether here in, in our congregation or in a smaller group or in that most basic unit of the family, to be able to talk about these questions, to get it out in the open and say, um, you know, here's an answer. Here's one answer. It's not a complete answer. It's not going to be satisfactory, but I know it's true. Or even, well, let's text pastor. And, uh, and I heard one time that he promised we'd get a patient, thorough, biblical answer. Because that's every way that I start our Bible instruction class. And maybe it's every way that I should start a sermon, too. Because one of the reasons we hate Jesus is because he doesn't answer our questions. But the problem isn't the question. The problem is our heart. But Jesus has the cure for that, too. He has answered the question that we needed to ask and forgiven the accusation that piggybacked on our question so that you and I can have absolute certainty. My Lord has forgiven my sin. My Lord loves me and watches out for me. My Lord even repeats this, hiding his glory, yes, under the cross, yes, under the bread and wine. So that that question isn't going to escalate and metastasize into an accusation that robs me of eternity. Because I have a Lord who answers questions. Amen.